to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the elections to the exclusion of just about everything else. We talked about them before November 3rd, when we didn't know what to expect, but we had real hope for a Donald Trump landslide, and we got it but only for a moment in time, because although he was far ahead when we went to sleep, when we woke up on Wednesday morning, the numbers had miraculously flipped and Biden was ahead, far enough ahead to be declared the winner by the mainstream media, even though many of the votes hadn't even been counted yet. From where I sit, Trump clearly would have won the election had it been run honestly. But almost immediately, stories began to come out about all kinds of fraudulent activity. Huge numbers, tens of thousands of Biden mail-in ballots were being delivered at four in the morning. Republican poll watchers and observers being barred from the counting rooms by Democrat supervisors, while the ballot counting continued. And as time passed, the number of stories grew and eyewitnesses began signing affidavits swearing to fraudulent activities that they had witnessed. And the funny thing is that although the number of eyewitness reports grew and the number of accusations grew, those who chose not to believe them, and that was the mainstream media and the Democrat left, they dismissed them out of hand. They refused to consider them at all. The press declared Joe Biden was the winner, and they began calling him president-elect with or without the consent of the country. So I want to talk about fraud and hypocrisy today and something called projection. We've talked about it before, but somehow it has never been so bad as it is right now, and it has never been so critical to the future of our country as it is today. Well, fraud and hypocrisy... I don't have to really explain. You all know what that is. We all know what that is. And, but there's something called projection, which is when I accuse you of something that I have done, and I either assume that if I could do it, you could do it as well, or I project my criminal behavior on you. So I say that instead of taking credit or responsibility for what I've done, I blame you for doing the same thing. Well, we've seen that a lot. We saw that in the impeachment hearings where Donald Trump was blamed for extorting the Ukraine government when Joe Biden bragged about doing that and so forth. Here's an example of all three, fraud, hypocrisy, and projection. I think one of the people who best exemplifies all three of these things is Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi. She lies, she accuses others, mostly Republicans, and particularly the president, of things that she does every day. For example, the American people have been waiting for the long-promised stimulus package for months, and Nancy Pelosi has been holding it up for months. She refused to accept a pared-down stimulus plan to help the most needy sectors of our economy, the small businesses that have been suffering under the restrictions of the coronavirus pandemic that have kept so many of them closed, restaurants, stores, 
all manner of small businesses. And you know, in some places, New York and New Jersey, for example, more than a third of small businesses have closed forever. And Nancy Pelosi has been holding up the financial relief that could help them get through this period. She's been holding it up since the summer. Now, Pelosi insisted that Democrats must have a really big bill or the legislation would remain stalled. She argued, unconvincingly, that this wasn't the time for stopgaps or patchwork solutions. She said we needed this whole big, gigantic bill, and she was talking about trillions of dollars. In other words, something is not better than nothing, not to Nancy Pelosi. And when you're a multimillionaire with a freezer full of designer ice cream and a closet full of designer COVID masks to match her many outfits, only a lot will do, or nothing, all or nothing. That was her position. And she started out and stayed at a position of $2.5 trillion, $2.5 trillion, and she insisted that she needed all of it. The Republicans were fighting for a package that was far less expensive. They wanted something around $1.5 trillion, and they finally negotiated up to $1.8 trillion, but she was having none of it. And then, this last Friday, all that changed. Nancy Pelosi, who is the most powerful woman in Washington, stepped up to the podium and told reporters on Capitol Hill that House Democrats were ready to accept something much closer to $908 billion spending plan as a down payment on legislation that she said will come next year. Suddenly, she was okay with a smaller, much smaller bill. And she said, quote, Joe Biden committed to ending and crushing the virus and having a bill to build America initiative, build back better. A vaccine, an answer to our prayers, an answer to our prayers of 95% effectiveness in terms of Pfizer and Moderna, and there may be others coming forward. That is a total game changer, a new president and a vaccine. These are different. What was then before was not more of this. This has simplicity. It's what we had in our bills. It's for a shorter period of time, but that's okay, she said, because now we have a new president. I'm going to tell you something. Don't characterize what we did before as a mistake. And when she was asked again whether it hadn't been a mistake to wait so long when so many people were suffering, she said, that was not a mistake. It was a decision. And it has taken us to a place where we can do the right thing without other, shall we say, considerations in the legislation that we don't want, unquote. In other words, she said plainly that the Democrats' unwillingness to pass a bill that would have given assistance to desperate people months earlier was not a function of political differences. It was a decision by the Democrats to delay the bill until after the results of the election were known. And since she no doubt knew of the plans to hijack the elections, she was ready to wait, no matter who suffered the consequences. Well, now she is ready to pass a bill for $908 billion, 
without a look back at the $2.5 trillion bill she insisted on only a few months ago. It's after the election, you see. And in her words, quote, that's a total game changer, a new president and a vaccine, unquote. Pelosi's cynicism and her downright lies make my blood boil. The vaccine is available only because of the tireless efforts of President Donald Trump and his warp speed program of getting it done as swiftly as it was safely possible. But she wasn't finished. Nancy Pelosi hates Donald Trump, and she's shown it from the very beginning of his presidency. She showed it when she stood him up at the White House just before the government was about to shut down, and he wanted to have a meeting with her to see if they could come to some kind of arrangement. So while Trump stayed in Washington over the Christmas and New Year holidays, waiting for Nancy Pelosi to meet with him, she flew off to Hawaii, where she stayed at an uber-posh hotel known for its luxurious spa. And she showed it when, following his State of the Union speech, she dramatically stood up and ripped up her copy of his speech on national television with a look of great satisfaction. She said that she was showing what it was worth, that it did not have a word of truth in it. And she insulted not only the president, but she insulted every one of the people he had honored during his speech all of them heroes. And she showed it over the past few months when she steadfastly refused to pass a bill that would have aided so many people who have suffered so much during the endless shutdowns and movement restrictions, the rising crime that has resulted from it, and the loss of jobs that have crippled families all around the country. Last January, she made a remarkable statement. She said, quote, one way or another, Trump will not be president in 10 months, unquote. I'll bet she already knew about the massive election fraud that was about to take place in November, that we would have to fight through this election year. And she accused Trump of lying, quote, every time he opens his mouth, unquote. But she's the one who's lying every time she opens her mouth. It was she who sent out a press release at the end of February that, quote, there are no current indications of widespread infections in the United States. That was the same day that the first China virus death was recorded, was recorded in Washington state. And three days after the Centers for Disease Control had confirmed the first possible instant of community spread of the virus. When Pelosi visited Chinatown, she urged Californians to come and visit and enjoy Chinatown. She thought it was very safe to be in that crowded neighborhood. She said, quote, I'm here today particularly to say to everyone, we should come to Chinatown. Precautions have been taken by our city. We know that there is concern surrounding tourism, traveling all through the world, but we think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. It's lovely here. The food is delicious. The shops are prospering. The parade was great. Walking tours continue. Please come and visit and enjoy Chinatown. Unquote. This was already at the end of February, and I was shocked to hear what she was saying and see what she was doing. It was shameful because it was dangerous. It was dangerous. And she was Speaker of the House. She should have been setting an example. But there she was in a crowd with no masks, inviting everybody to come join her. In April, she called the president's handling of the virus almost sinful 
although by then he had already marshaled an enormous response to the pandemic. But Nancy Pelosi has accused President Trump of everything short of murder. She came close to that when she blamed him for, quote, causing deaths, unquote, with his initial response to the virus. It was on January 31st when he stopped flights to the U.S. from China, even though it took the CDC another month before they confirmed the first possible instance of community spread of the virus. Pelosi said, quote, The truth is, because of an incompetent reaction to this health crisis, the strong economy handed to Donald Trump is now a disaster, causing the suffering of countless Americans and endangering lives. Unquote. Did you catch how many lies she told in that one sentence? The first was that the president was guilty of, quote, incompetent reaction, which was far from the truth. Then the second was that he inherited a strong economy from the Obama administration that is now, she said, a disaster. Well, we all know that's not true. And the third was that he is causing suffering to countless Americans, endangering their lives. Pelosi's perception is warped. Her hatred of the president is so bitter that she is unable to say anything nice about him, and the last I heard, they weren't even on speaking terms. This is beyond childish. She is the Speaker of the House, and she has a job to do. The fact that she cannot cross the aisle to speak to the president is more than proof that she is totally unqualified to do her job. And yet, she has just received unanimous approval to continue as Speaker in the next Congress. I'm amazed that she was even re-elected again last month, but then she comes from California. Her criticism of the president's handling of the pandemic was typical and absurd. Trump's reaction to the pandemic was heroic. He rallied the scientists and the industries, and he pulled together an enormous effort to fight the pandemic. He spearheaded a program called Warp Speed that mobilized American industry and science to combat the virus head-on. If he hadn't done anything else, this would have been his crowning achievement that may have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. It usually takes years and millions of dollars to fund the research and development that is necessary to create a single drug. America is notorious for requiring such painfully long and costly steps to create a single drug that many companies either give up or have joined with foreign companies and moved overseas where the requirements are less rigorous. But this year, Trump's warp speed program cut through the red tape and enabled several companies to develop vaccines and therapeutics in record time. Not several years, but less than one year. And it didn't cost the companies millions and millions of dollars because the federal government helped to fund this research and development. And this month, we will see the first rollout of anti-COVID-19 vaccines that will change the face of this virus from something deadly fearful to something that can be faced and handled. And unlike Pelosi, President Trump had no problem crossing the political lines when it was necessary. When New York's Democrat governor, Andrew Cuomo, demanded excessive amounts of equipment for an expected surge, Trump not only gave him 4,000 respirators, as well as huge amounts of PPE, 
He also sent the world's largest hospital ship, the USNS Comfort, to New York Harbor, fully staffed and with a thousand beds to help absorb the overflow from surging COVID-19 patients. At the time, Cuomo said he was grateful, but as a Democrat, he soon joined the chorus of never-Trumpers, and now he can't say often enough what a horrible job Trump has done in fighting the virus. This from a man who ordered active virus patients into nursing homes where residents were among the most vulnerable. Thousands of elderly residents died as a result, for which he takes no responsibility. Hypocrisy and projection. The Democrats blame Trump for the things that he did not do, that they did, and they still do. Hypocrisy and projection. There's an awful lot of that going around these days, and we're going to talk some more about how it rears its ugly head right after we come back from the break. So stay tuned. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Hypocrisy and projection. President Trump has been under assault from the left for more than four years, and it's been relentless. Among other things, the Democrats call him a racist, and they claim to be the party of the people. But the Democrats were never the party of the people, and they were the original racists in America. They were the party that defended slavery and nearly destroyed the country in order to preserve slavery. And they were the party of segregation and Jim Crow laws and the separate but equal lie that the Supreme Court finally branded unconstitutional in 1954. The Democrats fought that decision by maintaining Jim Crow in the South for another decade, 
by ignoring federal law and enforcing segregation at the local level. And long after the Supreme Court ruling, restaurants in the South still posted signs saying, we reserve the right to refuse anyone, meaning, of course, people of color and particularly black people. And places of public accommodation, stores, buses, laundromats, even schools, although they had been covered under the Supreme Court ruling, all continued to discriminate against black Americans. It was another 10 years before real change began to take hold in the South. And the change brought Southern Democrats kicking and screaming across the finish line. As I said, the Democrats have never been the party of the people. On the other hand, Trump has done more for people of color in less than four years with more and better jobs, historically low unemployment, and major tax relief than any president in our history, with the logical exception of Abraham Lincoln. And now the Democrats have taken their duplicity to a new low. The corruption that we saw in the November elections was so flagrant and so rampant and so comprehensive that it is impossible, for me at least, to understand how anyone can look at the flood of evidence and say, nothing to see here, move right along. It's all about vested interests, I think, and the willingness to do anything, anything, to win. Years from now, the year 2020 and the corruption that took over this presidential election will be seen as a pivotal point in American history if we let it. If the Democrats succeed in burying their corruption in these elections in a cloud of misinformation and denial, we will have four years, at least, of a Biden presidency. Or worse, if Biden is sidelined and Kamala Harris assumes that role, America as we know it is likely to disappear completely. We already know how deep the corruption goes in the Biden family. Remember Joe Biden bragging about extorting the Ukraine in order to protect his son's cushy job with the Ukrainian company? And remember Hunter Biden's laptop that was so full of secrets and damning information that the mainstream media never bothered to report on? Well, consider this. In a Biden administration, the Biden connection with the Chinese Communist Party will be strengthened, and all the work that President Trump has done to control the damage that Chinese interference and treachery in America has accomplished, all that will be undone, and the Chinese influence will become even more deeply embedded in our country. Under a Biden-Harris administration, the level of corruption in Washington coupled with the push by Democrats to turn America into a socialist country, that will go a long way to destroying America as we know it. But if American justice prevails, and if the Democrats fail to steal this election through fraud and chicanery, then Trump will have four more years in office, and America will be able to overcome the roadblocks that the Democrats have thrown in our way in order to get him out of the White House. You know, it's interesting. When the Democrats lost the election in 2000, 
When George Bush won the election and Al Gore lost, the Democrats complained for years that the election had been stolen, and it was very close. And then later, when Hillary Clinton lost the election in 2016, it was even closer because she actually won the popular vote, but lost the electoral college vote by a lot. And the Democrats never forgave that loss and harassed the winner, President Donald Trump, without relief for the entire four years of his administration. There was nothing he could do right. He could only do wrong. Their accusations were baseless. They lied under oath. They attacked his closest associates by entrapment and accusations of criminal offenses that they didn't commit. They destroyed some of his closest advisors, and they fabricated evidence against Trump himself and investigated him on made-up charges without let-up. So to say that the Democrats are poor sports and bad losers, well, that's an understatement. So now, when they seem to have won this election under very shady circumstances that reek of fraud, they are demanding that the president should immediately concede, overlook the accusations of fraud, and keep repeating that now is the time that we need to come together for the sake of the country. In other words, after spending the last four years doing everything possible to tear the country apart, they now are demanding that Republicans accept defeat. That defeat, by the way, that the Democrats created through fraud and criminal activity, and they want now for us all to come together in a major kumbaya moment. You know what? I don't think so. I'd love to see an undivided America, but when the Democrats cheat and steal in order to win a critical election, when hundreds of Biden ballots magically appear in the middle of the night, long after the polls have closed, when voting machines flip red votes to blue votes, when Republican poll watchers are barred from observing the ballot counting that they're supposed to be watching, and on and on and on. When all these things are happening in plain sight and hundreds of people have sworn affidavits to report what they've seen, then concession is the wrong answer. These things have to be challenged and investigated. And if the allegations of fraud and criminal behavior are found to be true, the election has to be overturned. Donald Trump would not be doing his job if he didn't challenge it. He swore to uphold and protect the Constitution, and that is exactly what he is doing now. You know, I want to say something about President Trump. I'm so tired of hearing lies about him. The Speaker of House, Nancy Pelosi, says he lies all the time. She says terrible things about him, and she's the one who lies the most. But that's not what I want to say here. She's had enough airtime on my show today. So here's the thing. I watched the president at the Georgia rally this past week. With everything that he's gone through, with everything that he's going through now, with the blow that the votes adding up for a tremendous victory were flipped in the middle of the night by the dirty tricks of the Democrats, who miraculously came up with millions of votes for Biden in the wee hours of the morning, or even two or three days later. With all this, the president looked like he was having a really good time at the rally. He is clearly under siege. 
and the attacks have been nasty and so comprehensive that it would be difficult for most people to overcome. And yet, when President Trump appeared in Georgia, he seemed relaxed, he was joking, he was energized by the adoring crowd. In fact, he seemed to be having a really good time. Maybe a rally was exactly what he needed. Thousands of adoring fans. Donald Trump was a rock star. I don't think the Democrats have any idea how much the American people love their president. What concerns me is what they will do if they are successful in stealing the elections with all their dirty tricks and illegal shenanigans. The Trump crowds have been amazingly peaceful, orderly, and respectful of the place they are visiting. They don't leave trash behind, they take it with them, and they leave things pretty much as they found it. And the bottom line for them is that overall, their demonstrations are almost always peaceful. Not like the Democrats and Antifa and Black Lives Matter, who turn peaceful demonstrations into riots, who attack Trump supporters. This past week at a pro-Trump demonstration, anti-Trump so-called counter-demonstrators, I call them rioters, they slashed the tires of the pro-Trump people who had come to the rally, and they smashed their car windows. I'm not saying that all Democrat demonstrations are like that, violent and destructive. They're not, but far too many of them are. So when we think of what will happen when this election is finally settled one way or another, then the scenarios that come to mind are deeply disturbing. I don't know how all this will turn out. Nobody does. The president has so many powerful enemies who love their power, and they are willing to do almost anything, it seems, to make certain that they're able to keep that power. So we'll have to see. There's so much at stake in this election year of 2020. I have no doubt that a Biden presidency will destroy this country. So here's something to think about. If you write letters, or if you are ready and able to peacefully demonstrate, if you can show your support for the president and the candidates who are on his team, then do it in whatever way you can. This time, this time, this year, it will count more than ever. Now, this week, California's Governor Gavin Newsom declared a massive draconian stay-at-home order for most of the people in California. And this, if Biden becomes president, is just the beginning. The so-called president-elect, which he is not, has just told us that he can expect another quarter of a million people to die from the China virus between now and January. That's within the next three weeks. Is he kidding? A quarter of a million people? Is this just Sleepy Joe fudging the numbers again? Or is this a ploy to scare us into submission as he plans his draconian measures, including universal lockdowns and nationwide mask orders? The scientists are predicting only 10% of that number, 25,000. And that's a lot. In fact, the truth is, nobody really knows. This virus is still a puzzle to our scientists because it isn't following the normal patterns for familiar viruses that are known to the world of science. It was developed in a laboratory 
It's got all kinds of things in it that nobody has ever seen before. So when there is a surge, as we're seeing now, the scientists and the politicians jump to various conclusions based on best guesses. Is this the result of the Thanksgiving holiday? When everybody traveled and maybe brought all kinds of infections home with them? Or is it just a logical outcome of the second wave? Is this a third wave? Or is it the second part of the second wave? And whatever it is, how will it affect the population in America? How is it spreading and to whom? Is it stronger or weaker than it has been before? Is it spreading more easily or is the rate of spread slowing down? Well, it depends on whom you ask. The truth is I've heard all of these questions answered by various scientists in multiple ways. And that leads to the obvious conclusion that they really don't know as much as they would like the American people to think they do. We've seen the scientists waffle and change their positions completely on many serious questions. And so it's getting really difficult to trust whatever they say, because it's not clear that they really know the answers. And the numbers themselves are alarming because they're out of context. In the United States, more than 14 and a half million people have been confirmed with the virus and 280,000 people have died from it. That's more than a quarter of a million people. And that seems like a lot and it is, but consider this a hundred years ago, the world was attacked by another pandemic. It was called the Spanish flu, but this one began on an army base in Oklahoma. We were in the middle of the first world war and our troops were being shipped overseas rapidly and in great numbers. The virus spread fast, although the first wave was less deadly than what followed. The second wave was devastating and the third wave was also deadly, although it was smaller. But remember at the beginning of the 20th century, which is when this took place in around 1918, microscopes, which were fine enough to even see a virus had not been invented yet. And they certainly had no cure and no vaccine. So in that pandemic, the death rate was estimated to be somewhere between 50 and a hundred million people around the world. That is a lot of people today in this pandemic. So far, as of December 8th, 2020, some eight months into the pandemic, there have been 67,211,000 confirmed cases and one and a half million deaths. That's a lot of people who died, but we're not even close to the numbers from a hundred years ago. So we have a lot to be grateful for because we live in a world where medicine has found solutions to many of the diseases that used to decimate our population and even this new and deadly coronavirus, which our scientists understand imperfectly, is not a medical dead end for us because we've reached a time in the development of technology where there are answers to be found and our scientists seem to have found some. The first vaccines will be released in a matter of days and weeks. So there is hope that the draconian measures that governors Newsom and Cuomo and others think are so necessary will now be canceled. 
and there will be no excuse for keeping people at home and incubating their isolation until it explodes in violence or letting their life's work, their small businesses, shut forever because they were forbidden to open by wealthy politicians. One day, we'll be able to evaluate the losses in real terms, and maybe we will wonder then how they could have been so foolish and so selfish as to have allowed their own constituents to suffer so badly and to have destroyed so many good lives. Now, after the break, I want to talk about something we haven't really talked very much about in quite a while, terrorism. Nobody talks about terrorism much anymore, but that's not to say that the threat of terrorism in America has gone away. It has been overshadowed by Antifa, who are also terrorists, by the way, but a different kind, and the China virus pandemic, and the election scandal, all of which are far from over. But terrorism is still with us, and that's what I want to talk to you about after the break. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. You know, nobody talks about terrorism much anymore. That's not to say that the threat of terrorism in America has gone away, but it sure has been overshadowed by Antifa and Black Lives Matter and by the China virus pandemic and by the election scandal. And all of these are still going on simultaneously. So a few words here about something we really have been ignoring that needs at least to be mentioned. There are many kinds of terrorists and many kinds of terrorism and all of them pose a threat to America. We know, of course, about the drug cartels and the gangs like Mara Salvatrucha, also known as MS-13, whose evil and violence goes against everything that is acceptable in the civilized world. And then there are the known Islamic terrorist groups like ISIS, that has been largely decimated due to President Trump's strong military action against them in Syria and the assassination of their leader, al-Baghdadi, and his second-in-command. And then there is the Muslim Brotherhood, which has been banned in several Muslim countries and is the parent of Hamas. The Muslim Brotherhood is very active in the U.S., hiding behind several hundred not-for-profit organizations, legitimate companies, and student organizations, and fronted by CARE, the Council on American-Islamic Relations. That organization purports to be the, quote, NAACP of the Muslim community, unquote, except that the NAACP was never banned in any country 
or labeled a terrorist organization, while CARE and the Muslim Brotherhood both have. CARE, which was founded in 1994 after a secret but now infamous meeting called the Philadelphia Meeting in 1993. It was at this meeting that Hamas leaders in the U.S. met to create a strategy for torpedoing the Oslo Accords, which was an international agreement aimed at establishing peace in the Middle East. It was at this meeting that they decided to establish a new organization with a different mission from their usual money laundering operations in the United States. The reason we know about this meeting is that the FBI was listening in and they later made the transcripts public. The new organization, as they described it, would be designed to appear benign, but in reality, it would provide a front for Hamas support and anti-Israel community action in the United States. The following year, CARE was born. Several years ago, I wrote a book called Hamas, CARE, and the Muslim Brotherhood, the plot to destroy America. You can find it in the America Out Loud bookstore, and you can also get it directly through Amazon. It's the story about how the Muslim Brotherhood and Hamas became terrorist operatives in America and about their double mission to destroy the state of Israel and to turn America into an Islamic country. Sounds like something from Hollywood, but it's not. This last week, U.S. Senator Ted Cruz reintroduced the Muslim Brotherhood Terrorist Designation Act, a bill that urges the U.S. State Department to designate the Muslim Brotherhood a foreign terrorist organization. Cruz said that he is, quote, proud to reintroduce this bill and to advance America's fight against radical Islamic terrorism. Many of our closest allies in the Arab world have long ago concluded that the Muslim Brotherhood is a terrorist group that seeks to sow chaos across the Middle East, and I will continue working with my colleagues to take action against groups that finance terrorism. Unquote. What he might have added was that the Muslim Brotherhood operates in the United States and poses a threat to our peace and security by supporting terrorism against democracy in all its forms and in particular against the United States and Israel. The Brotherhood is considered a terrorist organization by Bahrain, Egypt, Russia, Syria, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. And Hamas is the product of the Brotherhood's effort to keep its credible deniability on the world stage. Hamas was founded by the Brotherhood in 1987 to be its violent arm in the Muslim war against the Jewish state. In that same year, Hamas created a presence in the United States that has served as a fundraising operation, which means money laundering, to funnel money to fund Hamas operations, in other words, terrorism, in Gaza. In 1994, CARE became the benign face of Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood in America. Over the years, they have created hundreds of organizations to camouflage their activities. But the biggest camouflage is CARE itself, which serves as the face of Hamas in the United States. And hundreds of mass murder plots have been thwarted or botched. In fact, in 2006, 
I was involved in intercepting a mass casualty attack in New York City by an Islamist terror cell. That was only one, and we stopped it, so it didn't happen. But here are some more. On June 11, 2006, a Saudi national shot and killed three students at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola, Florida. In October 2017, a radicalized Muslim ran down eight people on a popular bike path in Lower Manhattan. And in June 2016, a self-made Muslim terrorist murdered 49 people at a gay nightclub in Orlando, Florida. And you all no doubt remember this. In April 2013, two Muslim brothers detonated two pressure cooker bombs packed with ball bearings at the final stretch, at the finish line, in fact, of the Boston Marathon. They killed three people and wounded more than 260 people, and that included 17 people who lost limbs. While these attacks may appear to be random, they were all guided by a philosophy that supports the murder of non-Muslims, infidels they call us, in the name of Allah. But Hamas and the Muslim Brotherhood are only one side of the multifaceted terrorist threat in America. You don't have to be a religious zealot to be a terrorist. In fact, since 9-11, when nearly 3,000 people were murdered by a team of Islamist terrorists, since then, an additional 162 Americans have been killed in more than 75 separate attacks by terrorists in the United States. Terrorists come in all forms, including religious zealots, anti-Semites, white supremacists, black supremacists, and just plain crazy people. For example, on December 11, 2019, two black terrorists carrying long guns entered a kosher supermarket in Jersey City and they shot and killed three people, including the store owner. They had also already killed a Jersey City police officer in a nearby cemetery. And there's more. There's a lot more. And I would take all afternoon or evening or next morning if I were to read you the entire list. But here's a few examples. In September of this year, two California police officers were sitting in their car when they were ambushed in a shooting attack. In December 2019, a deranged anti-Semite attacked a Hanukkah celebration in Muncie, New York with a machete. One man died from the head wounds he received and several others were badly injured. Then in March 2018, in Austin, Texas, there was a series of package bombs throughout the month until it ended when the bomber blew himself up. And in February 2018, in Parkland, Florida, a former student entered the high school and shot and killed 14 students and three staff members. 25 others were wounded. And the list of terrorist attacks goes on and on and on. All of these were terrorist attacks. You see, a terrorist attack can happen anywhere, and there are no innocent bystanders because the bystanders, whoever they are, are the targets. There are no easy solutions to the terrorist threat, but to ignore them is naive and dangerous. One of the definitions of terrorism is that it happens without warning 
and it targets innocent people who happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Terrorism isn't going away anytime soon. There's no way to learn to live with it, but it is important to recognize that it is part of our lives and that our job is to be alert and aware that it is always a possibility. In these days of division and pandemic, it just complicates our lives a little bit more. Well, this has been a pretty serious show up to now, so let's move into some lighter stories from the news this week. Here's one, and it's from a person who is unfailingly funny, although I rather think she doesn't mean to be. Let's begin with a story from AOC, our favorite comedian. This week, it was reported that she was getting some unfavorable press. Now, that's unusual for her because unless you read the conservative press, which I do, and you probably do, AOC is idolized by the mainstream media. Well, anyway, it seems as though she has been going into the merchandising business. What is she selling? Well, it seems that her website is a veritable marketplace with mugs and t-shirts and hoodies and caps and more. But your wallet had better be fat because, well, for example, you can buy a hoodie that says Green New Deal. Nothing fancy, just plain text and a teeny tiny logo. And all you have to spend for it is $65 for a hoodie. Or if that's a bit too rich for your blood, how about a regular sweatshirt, no hood, that has her name splashed across the chest. Or if you don't want that, you could have one that says, drink water and don't be racist. I'll need you to explain that one to me. Really. Or another one that says, tax the rich. And they're only $58 each. Well, I guess you have to be rich to be able to afford this stuff. Heck, I wouldn't spend $58 for a sweatshirt, particularly one that has her name on it. Well, anyway, she has a coffee mug with her logo on it, or it can say Green New Deal, and that one only costs $27. That better be a really good cup of coffee. But I think if I had to look at her name every morning when I had my coffee, I'd stop drinking coffee altogether. And if you happen to have a little one at home, well, you could get her or him a onesie with Acacio Cortez's name on it. Wow. And that would only put you out $17. What a bargain. She even has a dog collar that says Green New Deal all around it. And that's a mere $17. Oh, and one more thing is a baseball cap that says Abolish Ice. Maybe she means we should take our drinks warm. I don't know. Well, it's nice to know that AOC is a capitalist. With all her talk about socialism, she sure has a handle on how to make a buck off her supporters and get free advertising out of it as well. Way to go, AOC. Now, here's a story with a happy ending. And about time. 
Judge Emmett Sullivan, who refused to dismiss the criminal case against former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn, finally gave in. In the course of this judicial fiasco, FBI records were produced that indicated that in their interview of General Flynn, the records showed that the interview was meant to get the general to lie so authorities could pressure him and threaten either prosecution or termination. In the beginning, which was in 2017, Flynn pled guilty, but once he realized that he had been entrapped, he changed his plea, and his attorney, Sidney Powell, you remember her, she's been all over this voter fraud case, she was insistent that all charges should be dismissed. Then the Department of Justice moved to dismiss the case, but Judge Sullivan refused. Instead, he appointed retired Judge John Gleason to argue against the DOJ, the Department of Justice. You can't make this stuff up. This case has been going on for three years, when the deep state was on its quest to destroy President Trump and everybody on his team. Unfortunately, this escapade cost Flynn some $5 million in legal fees and other things in order to clear his name, and it left him broke. But finally on Tuesday, Judge Sullivan had to admit that his quest to nail the general had failed, and he dismissed the case. He called it moot, since General Flynn had already been pardoned by the president. Now, don't you think it would be appropriate for General Flynn to sue the FBI for the $5 million that it cost him to defend a case that should never have happened? I like that solution. Now, we're almost out of time, but before I come to the end of the show, I'd like to leave you with a thought. There's a lot of discussion about the shutdowns and the draconian measures that Democrat politicians are placing on their constituents. They can't go to church. They can't have holiday celebrations with friends and family. They can't go to outdoor events. The neighbors are asked to spy on each other. Well, here's a thought. Let me read this to you. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of people peacefully to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, unquote. That's the First Amendment, of course. The right of the people peacefully to assemble. Now, I understand that it says Congress shall make no law, but does anyone else have the right to take away what the Constitution guarantees, in this case, the right of people peacefully to assemble? I would say that the right of the people peacefully to assemble shall not be infringed. And that means going to church or meeting with friends or living our lives out in freedom. And in the time of the pandemic, and because we are a free people, we should be able to do these things within the framework of common sense. My friends, I'll take my constitutional rights over tyranny any day of the week. 
Well, it's time to go. Thank you for spending this hour with me. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been the Friedman Report. 